1984 and Peter Molyneux is about to release his first game, The Entrepreneur. Utterly convinced that it's going to be the greatest game ever, he literally cuts his mail slot larger to allow more orders to be delivered each day. Fast forward to 2003, and Peter Molyneux, the man who literally created God in video games, is working on the greatest video game ever created. For real, he created the God genre. He calls this new game Fable, and fans can't wait for it to be released. But here lies the question, has he ever actually made the greatest video game ever created? Today we're going to look at the career of Peter Molyneux as he works his way through the development of Fable and beyond. We'll talk about his successes and, well, his failures too. So stick around and get ready to hop on the hype train as we take today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 107th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we tell you a story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history, along with the story of the people who've created it. While telling you this story, we hope to teach you something new about the game, the people, the world, their inspirations, their legacy, all sorts of fun stuff. We'd just like to teach you here. This week, we're looking back at Fable, originally released for the Xbox, that's the OG Xbox, on September 14th, 2004. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who, like the hero of Oakvale, goes by the title Arseface. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, there are so many cool titles you could have, like... They call me the Liberator, for instance. Someone's known as the Rune Master, the Deathbringer, the Reaper. Heck, I've met the Arrow Dodger before. Why do people call you Arseface? Well, Dave, it's because my face resembles that of an arse. It's that simple? That simple. I guess that's one reason. Indeed. I, I was expecting poor behavior, but... I'll take no, ass face. No, it's it is quite literally just that my face resembles an ass. <laughs> okay. What have you been playing? Well, Dave, <clears throat> this week has saw some Rocket League, a little bit of Ultimate Fishing Simulator. VR, non VR. Non-VR right now. I know I need to get the VR version, but I didn't know if I'd like the game. Just asking. Uh, I played a little bit of Oxygen Not Included. Okay. And some RuneScape. Okay. How about yourself? Rocket League as usual. Into the Breach, which uh, I have on my phone, but it's a PC version, just small, so... Not familiar um, with that one. Did you ever play FTL? No. Fuck the Lelise? No, Follow the Light. I don't remember what it was called. Uh, no, they're they're like turn-based tactical simulators of different kinds. Into the Breach is kind of cool. You 
are going back in time to like save the planet from an alien invasion but like it's like you go back as three mechs a team of three mechs and you're fighting giant aliens it's kind of like starship troopers i guess in a way um but like that's a total simple like uh, that's the best way to explain it you go back in time to uh to defeat aliens and then if you lose you get warped back and you have to go back back into time type deal so Hmm. It's like it's like a loop. It's it's. I mean, it's fun. If you like that style of gameplay, it's fun, and I I think it's a good game. So into the breach. Well, that that sounds like a very interesting title. Yes. Uh, and going back in time uh, probably takes you back to your heydays of when you used to slide down the Broncos tail. Oh, son of a bitch! That's a good Flintstones Bronco, reference. Brontosaurus. Brontosaurus, Woo! got it. Uh, I have also played. I've been playing more Autica in VR which now I finished every uh, song title uh, in the in beginner. So now I got to move on to the secondary level of difficulty. I played, um, what is it called? Afterlife Oblivion. It's, it's a scary VR title about race. And then I played this really cool to sci-fi VR title called Wanderer, which I really like. It's uh, another time traveling type of um of story but it's it's cool sci-fi so i spent a lot more time in vr this week i was going to say the same thing it seems like you wanted to get out of reality and get (laughs) into the virtual one no i'm just trying to there's a lot of really unique titles uh that are made exclusively for vr and i am trying to peruse that library more that's all so but well, yeah. I can understand that, but you know, some of them's games you're just trying to find the fabled great VR game. Ah, uh, fabled, got it. That's uh, a good one. Haha, ha, that it is. And speaking of fable, That's... I think people want to know about the game today. Do they though? I mean, we've uh, been we've been hyping up fable for so long. I mean, how do you live up to expectations? Well. I guess we're going to have to know about the game's history and see if it really had expectations to live up to now, aren't we? Oh, it had expectations to live up to. That's for sure. You, you, uh, did you ever get around to trying the first one? Unfortunately, I did not this week now, but you played the third one. That is correct. I had quite a bit of time in the third one. Hey, and look, so just to be clear, when the third one came out, I bought the collector's edition, which I still have on my shelf to this day. With the fancy, it had like a gold coin and maps and all sorts of extra stuff in it. And it's the size of a book, pretty much. Uh, so I, I mean, I enjoyed Fable 3. I enjoy Fable as a series, but I'm, I'm just telling you, Fable 3 was not the best in the series. So, Well, if it was the worst in the series or even not the best, it only can mean that the other ones had to have a lot going for them. Sure, we'll go with that. But really, the story of Fable, you know, is also the story of its creator, Peter Molyneux. Molyneux. I always want to say Molyneux, but it's Molyneux. I would have thought Molyneux looking at that, honestly. No, it's Molyneux. Peter Molyneux started his video game career in his early 20s when he started a company selling floppy disks. That's it. Just blank floppy disks. 
somewhere along the way, he got the idea that his discs, discs, God damn it. You know, I'm going to say dicks left and right. That you are, Dave. Oh, my God. You are somewhere along the way. He got the idea that his floppy discs would sell more rapidly if he put games on them. What a novel flipping concept. And through this, he soon realized that games were the selling point. So he decided to try his hand at video game development. His first attempt was a game called Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a a, a farming game. Yeah. Entrepreneur, a text-based business simulation that he published and made himself. He duplicated hundreds of tapes on two Tandy recorders He took out a small ad in a gaming magazine and he prepared himself for wealth and success beyond anything anyone has ever seen before. I was utterly convinced that this game would sell tons, he later said in an interview. You know, our letterbox or mail slot in a door to us Americans. Our letterbox just isn't big enough. It's just not going to fit all the envelopes. So I cut, and this is no joke, I cut a bigger letterbox. I calculated the day the orders would come. The magazine comes out on this date, and well, they'll be getting all excited about my game, so they'll send off their orders straight away. I got to the office at 7, and I sat behind the door waiting for these millions of orders to come in. But instead, two envelopes fluttered down, one of which I'm convinced was from my mother. And that was it for Entrepreneur. Two copies. Wow. You know... He could have saved himself a lot of effort of the cutting the hole in the door by just allowing the owls to drop it through the uh, the chimney, you know? Very that, that true. Works too. He should have known better. I know, but, you know, maybe that, that poor planning is why the game flopped. Maybe. So after Entrepreneur failed, he was convinced to leave game design and become, well, an entrepreneur. His girlfriend's father convinced him to start a company called Taurus Impex or Impact Limited. That's Taurus, T-A-U-R-U-S, like the car. Now, Taurus was a company that exported baked beans to the Middle East and money systems to Switzerland. Now, that's the hell of a business right there. That (laughs) right there is a winning business. Baked beans. He exported baked beans to the Middle East. One day, Malanu received a phone call from Commodore International. You know, the Commodore 64 people. But at this time, they were the Amiga line of computers people. Commodore brought Malanu in and asked him to create a software program for their Amiga in exchange for 10 free Amiga systems to assist in porting over his networking software. Networking software, Malanu quickly thought. And soon it came to him why he was there. There was another company called Taurus, T-O-R-U-S, that produced networking software. Malanu later said that he had a crisis of conscience. If this guy finds out, he later said, then there goes my free computers down the drain. So I just shook his hand and ran out of the office. Nice. That's <laughs> the way you do it. And so Taurus, you know, Taurus like the car. Designed a database system for the Amiga called Acquisition, the ultimate database. They sorted out the misunderstanding with Commodore, with the program as its olive branch, and released it to moderate success. Uh, it won awards, came out in like a German, um, a German software show, won awards, sold thousands of copies. Uh, it, it did pretty well for itself. And so, after the success of Acquisition... 
Peter Molyneux went back into video game design. Using the money earned from the database program, Molyneux founded Bullfrog Productions alongside Les Edgar, who was a business partner of his that had helped him form Taurus Impact Limited. Now, I'm not even going to lie. Some of my fondest early PC gaming memories are games that started with that stupid Bullfrog logo. I was a huge fan of their games. I spent hours, and I mean hours, playing any any one of them. Like what, Dave? Well, you know, we could do a whole episode on some of these games, so I'll just run through them quickly. There was the game that started the, the god genre, Populous. There was an RTS game called Power Monger. There was a tactical shooter that probably started my love for cyberpunk called Syndicate. There was an action game that I used to play. It wasn't even that good, but I played a ton of it. It was called Magic Carpet. And then comes my love of management games or the theme tycoon genre, as I call it. There's Theme Park, Theme Hospital. There was another god game called Dungeon Keeper. theme park alone was one of my favorite games as a kid i used to just love managing things in video games i i just i loved it and these were all bullfrog games i remember being so excited each one came out theme park and then the spiritual successor was theme hospital and i was so geeked when theme hospital came out so bullfrog is 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 glorious um, honestly say I haven't heard I mean I've heard of a single I've never played a single one of those titles though no um, no but you'll have honestly played a lot of games that are related to those titles and we're going to cover that shortly so Molyneux left Bullfrog Productions in July of 1997 to found Lionhead Studios now there's a funny story about this His choice to leave Bullfrog was apparently the result of a chain of events that started with a night of drinking with his friend Tim Rance. Now, he and Tim would be two of the co-founders of Lionhead. At the time, uh, Molyneux was already contemplating leaving Bullfrog. It had been purchased by EA Electronic Arts in 1995. And let's be honest, if you're a gamer, um, maybe even if you're not, we all know what EA's reputation is, right, Rob? uh yeah yeah totally yeah they swallow things up and shit them out a lot of times so yeah not quite quite i think we've talked about that a time or two we have so they're right after a night of drinking and talking about how peter Molyneux wants to leave and tim rant suggests that he write his resignation letter to ea so Molyneux sits down types out an email to the ceo of ea and before Molyneux could even stop him probably didn't even recognize he was doing it Rance hits send on the email. Yikes. Molyneux quickly explains the situation to EA, but the damage was done. And frankly, his relationship with them remained strained moving forward. So much so. And I mean, this was a big deal because not only was he, you know, in charge of Bullfrog, but he was also, as part of the acquisition, he was a vice president with Electronic Arts. It was so damaging that EA asked him not to come to the office anymore. Uh, So he moved to his house. He moved the development of his current game, Dungeon Keeper, to his house. You know, he was worried that Electronic Arts was going to start taking out the soured relationship on other developers at Bullfrog Productions. So Malinu agreed to not go into the office. So he started developing from home 
and his core crew moved into an office in his house with him. So they didn't let him go right away, but he just had to never come back to the office. Yeah. So essentially, hmm. essentially be a pretty good deal by my book. Well, the damage was done and essentially the writing was on the wall and finishing the game was done. Like his reward for finishing the game was being able to finally leave. So he did. He completed Dungeon Keeper, which is a cool game, actually. Dungeon Keeper, if you've never heard of it, uh, just really vaguely, you're evil. You build dungeons that heroes invade. The whole goal is to defeat all the heroes that invade your dungeon and eventually kill them all to take over the world. So well, that's a nice change of pace. Yeah, there's actually a, that's a that's a series and it, it was kind of cool, actually. So. So he leaves Bullfrog and he founds Lionhead Studios in 1997 with a few others, including Tim Rance. Interestingly enough, among the co-founders of Lionhead is Steve Jackson. Now, we didn't talk about Steve Jackson last week, but he's relevant to last week's topic because he co-founded Games Workshop, which is the company that pretty much publishes everything Warhammer. And if you don't know, Last week, we talked about miniature tabletop gaming, and Warhammer is the most popular miniature war game in the entire world. So the creator of Warhammer basically ended up founding Lionhead Studios after leaving Games Workshop, basically. Warhammer is huge. Oh, it's huge. I know someone when I... Uh from high school who had so many of those figures and painted like detail painted. I was just blown away, blown away, had no idea something like that had existed prior to that. And now it's, I see it everywhere. Oh yeah. Well, I, you know, I tried to get my, one of my best friends to join us last week when we were talking about uh, Dungeons Dragons and miniature wargaming because he is a giant uh, fan of the genre Warhammer and some other games. Wonderful at the hobby has worked in the hobby, has performed the hobby, paints. He's just a champion of it. He's awesome. Unfortunately, we just couldn't make our schedules meet. So, but uh, it, I know he listens to every episode. So there you go. A little tied to the episodes there, Dave. Woo. So the name Lionhead came from one of the other co-founders, a guy named Mark Webley. It was uh, the name of his pet hamster, who unfortunately died a week before the company was founded. Oh. Yes, the hamster's death was taken as a bad sign, so other names were suggested. These alternative names included Black Box, Red Rocket, Midnight, and Hurricane. Right, the Red Rocket. But none oh, of, man. But none of them had the unanimous support that the name Lionhead had. Red Eye was also suggested, which everyone did kind of like, actually. But they had found that the domains had already been taken. Aww. Uh, that, along with the fact that the concept of red eye has drinking connotations, led them to kind of hesitate on the name. With that being said, this was not before Molyneux was interviewed by Edge magazine. And in the interview, he suggested that red eye was the name of the company that they were about to found. And by the time they had made up their mind, it was too late to change it. So there is an Edge interview out there somewhere where his company is referred to as Red Eye Studios. But it wasn't red eye. It was Lionhead Studios in the end. Molyneux wanted Lionhead to be a professionally run, world-class software developer that only worked on one game at a time. And Lionhead's first outing is yet another god game. 
This one combined elements from its previous god game, Populous, and Dungeon Keeper, which we just talked about, and he merged them together to create a, a game that I'm a huge fan of called Black and White. Black and White was published by EA. It was published as part of a one-game contract with EA that was part of his severance package that he got when he left Bullfrog. And well, Black and White was successful. It sold well. It won various awards when it came out in 2001. Uh, in fact, that year it won some Game of the Year awards. It was a big deal that year. Um, I We could do an episode on Black and White in itself, and we'll cover it sometime in the future. So I say that a lot. And then I go in the, the calendar after uh, afterwards, and I pop them in for future episodes. Ah, good, good idea for reminding yourself. I like it. I know, I know. I got to decide what to do with this one, though, because the week that it was produced, we have a, another title already in place for next year, and it's arguably a higher profile game on an anniversary, so I don't want to give it up. But I'm debating because the week we actually know when this game started development and the week that this game started development is open. So I'm thinking about cheating. You guys can mm-hmm. hold me to that if we ever do the episode. So yeah, hold him to it. Feet to the fire. I know. By June of 2002, Lionhead had established a bunch of satellite companies in order to offset the costs of running a fledgling studio. He proposed a system in which these satellites would receive the technology and support of Lionhead so that the studios themselves could focus on doing what they do best, which is making games. Black and White Studios is one of them, which of course worked on the Black and White series moving forward. One of the others was Big Blue Box Studios. Now, Big Blue Box Studios was actually founded back in 1998 by former Bullfrog employees who had a desire to leave Electronic Arts. And their first game would be Fable. Lucky for us, as they developed it, they actually published a developer diary online. So we know that when they created Blue Box Studios, they wanted to create a role-playing game like no other. And they wrote, The world would be a breathtakingly beautiful place filled with waterfalls, mountains, dense forests, populated with compelling and convincing characters with real personality, people who actually reacted to what you do, Uh, We wanted to give the player control of a hero who would adapt to the way they played, who would age, become scarred in battle, who could get tattoos, who could wear dreadlocks and dress and, and wear a dress if the player was so inclined. We wanted each and every person who played our game to have a unique experience and to tell their own stories. And so we called it Thingy. (laughs) What a name. What a name. If only it stuck that way. So they set out to find a publisher for their ultimate role-playing game, uh, one that would go by many names other than Thingy. For most of its development, it was known as Project Ego, which is really fitting given the rest of the story. After some difficulties, they found a fantastic partner in Microsoft, who they stated had an immediate understanding of what they were trying to achieve with their game and showed a huge amount of enthusiasm right from the beginning. They hired a team and started developing what they felt were the game's key features. And they are as follows. One, using our AI experience, we would create a unique world filled with people who had real convincing lives and personalities. Two, the player's actions would have a substantial impact on the story, the world, and on other people. The outcome of his or her choices would be genuinely emotive. And three, 
the world in which this all took place would be beautiful. Now they emphasize the last point because they felt that pulling together the visual style early and building their tools around it would make everything easier throughout development. They recognized that role-playing games set in fictional environments tended to stick to Dungeons and Dragons formulas, many of which were adapted from the works of Tolkien, and so they wanted to avoid worlds like this altogether. They basically wanted it to look and feel different from every other role-playing game out there, and so they chose a style drastically different from all the others, one that was very heavily influenced by dark European fairy tales like the Brothers Grimm. Mm, nice. And with that came very specific terrain that needed to be created. They wanted to create a dense, deep, impenetrable forest, which whisper and creak into the wind. They wanted to create great fields and lush hilltops with views over chocolate box villages and mountains so tall that they would induce vertigo. In a later diary entry, they talk about freedom, uh, writing that one of the things we've talked about in the past is that we wanted Ego to give the player a greater degree of freedom than in other role-playing games. You should be able to choose how you look. You should be able to choose how you play the game, who you help, who you kill, who you flirt with, etc. The response that we've had to these ideas has generally been extremely positive. However, for some reason, many people seem to relate this directly to sex. If we had a penny for every letter asking us if you can have relations with women, men, dogs, sheep, chickens, sand geese, cheese, uh, then we'd have, well, nearly 47 pence. <laughs> what in the hell? Wait, get this. Get Wait, it gets better. There's no way. The idea of freedom seemed to resonate particularly with one chap who sent us mail along the lines of the following. Now, grammar and names have been changed to protect the guilty. And the letter goes as follows. Dear Big Blue Box, many thanks for Project Ego. I think you are going to create a fantastic game. I was thinking about the freedom you have in the game and how you should probably be able to kill animals and skin them for their pelts. Wouldn't it also be cool if you could sneak into a village, kill a child and skin it, and then wear its skin? Uh, <laughs> wearing a cape okay. wearing a cape made out of the hide of a child would show everyone in the world how badass I am. Okay. <laughs> they wow. Fin- they, they finished that diary entry writing. If we could make our game half as original and unique as some of the people waiting for it, we will have a hit on our hands. Yeah, I would say so. What in the hell, people? People want to have sex with cheese and wear the skin of children. Uh, <laughs> Can you have sex with cheese? What the fuck? Swiss, Dave. Swiss. Swiss. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sand geese. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'll post a diary on the show notes, but there are, there's a, I mean, there's some more fun anecdotes about the development, uh, including the adventures of one employee who was an artist that seemed to be accident prone during the development of Fable. So much so that at one point he was helping move a washing machine when it fell on him. He ended up breaking both hands, his wrists rather, three ribs, and he had his eye piercing get embedded into his eyebrow. Um, fun. 
Right. So there's a funny thing. There's a funny story after he comes back in which he's in the middle of a heated email chain and he delivers a scathing reply, thinks he's won, and someone just replies back with a single photo of said washing machine. <laughs> wow. That's a burn and a half. God damn. <laughs> so yeah. Fable takes uh it was fun. It takes about four years to create. Got about 70 developers working on it in the end. 150 people probably touch it from, you know, the beginning to the end in that four years. And the thing is, while they're going around, while they're working on it, Peter Molyneux is going around telling people that it's going to be the best game ever. Uh, literally telling people it's going to be the greatest game ever created. And he's promoting all sorts of features that may or may not have ended up in the game. Oh, and before I move on, while most of the music was composed by a longtime composer in Malinu's World, Russell Shaw, he did Magic Carpet and a few others, for instance. The theme song for Fable was composed by famous Hollywood composer Danny Elfman. Now, if you don't know who Danny Elfman is, (laughs) shame on you, for starters. That's Um, great. He composed just about every single Tim Burton film, including my favorite, one of my favorite movies, Nightmare Before Christmas. He's done the Sony Spider-Man movies. He did the theme for Doctor Strange recently. And his most popular music ever created in his mind is the theme song for The Simpsons. So I actually didn't know about the Doctor Strange one, and that's even more incredible. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did the Doctor Strange uh, movie themes. So uh yeah yep danny elfman uh microsoft wanted wanted a higher profile musician for for it so um yeah so that's fable you know for those of you who don't know what the game is it's an action role-playing game it lived up to many of the features that we just covered that were promised by big blue box developers on the other hand, it really failed to live up to some of the features promised by Peter Molyneux, which is kind of his thing, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So, I guess let's start with, not that we're covering today, but let's go back, Rob. You've played Fable 3. Yep, now, now, now you've seen the beginning, the things that they wanted to do with their game. Do you see those even three games into the series, do you see some of those design elements in the series? Oh yeah, absolutely. Some of those design elements definitely have made it through. I mean, it was, they are beautiful games. They have a a unique art style and the draw to the game was that as you played the game, your character changed. So, you know, you could make decisions where he would be good and he would look like a hero or you can make decisions where he would be bad and he would get battle scarred and start to look evil, you know, or you could tattoo him and make him look evil. Um, and then later in the series, the world, too, as you made evil decisions, the world will start to reflect it. It would get darker and and more sinister and and things like that. I don't feel like there's as much of this in the first one. I think the first one, um, and I, I played through, I I don't know if I'm, I don't even think I'm halfway. I know I'm more than a third of the way through the game that I played through in the past week. Um, 
right through the first act because it's kind of got three major acts and i know i'm through the first one um it i think that the first one really laid the groundwork like you can see little bits and pieces of what they want to do like you can definitely change the way you look and you can definitely tell people people respond to you differently if you're the liberator versus if you're the r space for instance um so little bits and pieces are there they really didn't nail it down to the second one in my opinion um i have very mixed feelings about the third you know what i don't like about the third rob what is that dave like half of the game is is after like in the beginning of the of the third one you have to overthrow a, t- a tyrannical king and then you become the king and then realistically the second half of the game is mostly just you making decisions on how to run your kingdom and i i just i don't know it feels like the actual game gets cut off for a decision making game if that makes sense um I, I don't know. I just know. I know if you go online and you read reviews and you talk to people, it's definitely most people agree that it's it, the third one was just not as strong. Second one was really good, and that's probably part of it. It was hard to follow up from the second one. So, but back here in the first, we had a really solid action game, and it does a lot of things really well. It's I don't know. I I played Fable Anniversary. I have the most recent version, like the remake that they came out because first they released it on the Xbox and then they added content to it on the, and released it on 360 called Fable The Lost Chapters. And then like 10 years later, they released it on PC and otherwise um, and they called it Fable Anniversary Edition. They upped the um, they upped to which we call it. Hey, speaking of remakes, I don't know if you caught this. Uh, I know before we started recording we talked about how the the trailer for Breath of the Wild sequel came out, but did you happen to notice that they're going to be releasing Golden Eye on Game Pass uh, with four K four K textures and updated split screen multiplayer and all that? I cannot say that I had seen that. No. Yeah, we get to play. We get to play Golden Eye again. So oh, yeah, that's what's up. That is what's up. But yeah, so I mean, Fable is. I don't know. I enjoy it. I I I definitely think in hindsight now that the later games in the series do everything better, but you can definitely see how what they wanted to do started here. So, yeah. But really that's how I feel about it. Rob, how did other people feel about Fable? Well, Dave, we'll kick it off with critic reviews as always. And rolling right on into it, we have Game Informer, who wrote in October of 2004 that with its moving story and deft execution, Fable is quite literally the adventure of a lifetime. Rating it 95 out of 100. That's a very, very specific choice of words because you start out as a child in the game, and then the next chapter you're a teenager, and then the next chapter you're a young adult. So you literally, literally... That's where they get that from. It's literally an adventure where your character grows up, which is kind of part of the allure to it. So that's that's where that comes from. What else you got? Well, Dave, we have a post from the Xbox exclusive in 2004 stating that this is truly one amazing game. Xbox finally has a super RPG. There's so much detail, so much excitement and so much goodness that comes with this game. Go out and buy Fable. It is worth your while because you can play it over and over again. 
you will enjoy everything about it. Get Fable. They, too, gave it a 95 out of 100. Nice. Very nice. Did everyone love it? Not everyone loved it, Dave. No. Uh, That is a very good question. It leads us right into our next review from Die Hard Game Fan, who on September 26th of 2004 wrote that Fable is not a bad game. Not by a long shot. It's just not a great game. It's not even a good game. It's a decent, above-average game that is worth a rental or waiting until it's a greatest hits title. But no way can I endorse buying this game for the full 50 bucks. It's not worth it. You should play it, though, to see how hype and PR for a game can truly over-exaggerate not only its worth, but how good of a game it is. I'm still mystified by these people giving it 9s and 10s. It does nothing better than slightly over average. And in the end, I have to ignore the rose-tinted glasses and give them the game what it deserves, not what we've all been programmed to give it. That review was a 59 out of 100. Man, not even a C. Not even a C. But, you know, we talk about critics. You know, they, they, they do their thing. They do. We, we care more about the people, though. We do. And with that, we have Todd Bellow from Moby Games, who felt everything was perfect. The combat system was easily understandable. You could do just about anything you could ever think of doing, and the change of the character when you become good or evil. He talks about the glitches in the game, such as the dig glitch and the jump glitch, which allow you to get items early and easily or access areas you wouldn't otherwise be able to. Yeah, by the time you get to modern versions of the game, those glitches were gone. But that's what made the original so great, Dave. Sure. Todd finishes by saying it was short, but the definition of Fable is a short story about a legendary person. The load times were a bit long, and the story could get a tiny bit annoying at times. The secrets and contents left out were a real letdown such as a dragon that was supposed to be in the game, but it got taken out. Though, for those of you with action replay or modded Xboxes, you could still get them. Hmm. I didn't know that. I did not know either, but it is pretty cool. But Dave, you know, where you have the lovers, you're also going to have dissenters. That's, that's always a fact. It sure is. Just as we had 95s, we had a 59. Just as we have Todd Bellow, who loves this game, we have Unicorn Lynx from Moby Games, who writes that Fable was an unreasonably hyped-up project by the ambitious Peter Molyneux. It was supposed to be a fully open RPG with a wealth of options far outweighing the competition. The actual game turned out to be a much more modest experience, delivering a harsh blow to the fans' rose-tinted glasses. They say that your, your appearance is influenced by two main factors, your behavior towards other people and your own free customization. You can go to a barber and, make your, and get yourself a haircut. You can visit a tattoo specialist. Everything you attach to yourself has special ratings determining simple folks' reactions. Your deeds, in case people have heard of them, will affect minds as well. If you're known for your charity work, villagers will greet you and clasp the hands the moment they see you. <laughs> if you are a brutally murdering kind of celebrity, people run away the moment they see you. Now, that's true. So I 
can't play bad. I just can't. It's it's just so against my personality. So I'm always the hero when I play games. Being bad is I just can't do it. In any case, he's not kidding with you. I almost wanted to like call this Clap Simulator 3000 because everywhere I go, people are just like going, yay, and you can hear clapping in the background. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, it literally happens everywhere. So. Well, they do continue on by saying you can go into a tavern, drink yourself into oblivion. If you drink too much, you'll puke. You can break windows in somebody's house and get arrested for vandalizing property. You can fish in rivers or grab a shovel and dig any spot in the game. You can also walk around farting and belching. This is silly fun, but it's fun. I also fact, I thought of you. There's an early quest where a guy is being bothered by another guy and he asks you for help. And I literally just walked between them and shat myself. And the guy goes, oh, you're disgusting. And he walks away. <laughs> and I thought, I was like, man, this is Rob's game. This is, I mean, he would love this shit. That is awesome. That is my style of play. That is how I would just solve. You, you could you could end wars with that shit. Yeah, they're... Um, it, it definitely has a quirky sense of humor that you'd, you'd get a kick out of. So, I Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to give this one a try. So Unicorn Links continues by saying the game's visual style walks the middle ground between realism and cartoon, and it works really well, perfectly fitting the title itself. Something that stands between a fairy tale and a serious ethical maxim. Some of the locations ooze charming beauty. Characters tend to have a weirdly proportioned body and expressively grimacing faces. Exploration of this slightly bizarre world is complemented by a broad symphonic score, and the British voice acting is uniformly solid. But the problem with Fable is its grating superficiality. It is full of interesting gimmicks that would enrich any good RPG and make it even better. But that's precisely what they are. Gimmicks. Tricks to try out, extra stuff added to the basic mechanics. Unfortunately, it's precisely those mechanics that remain all too basic. And this can be applied to most other aspects of Fable. Its morality system doesn't go very far at all, restricting itself mostly to cosmetic stuff. Analyzing the more essential mechanics of RPG design in Fable yields even more remarkable results. The game world is populated by nameless drones with no hint of anything resembling a personality. Sure, they react differently to your actions, but they don't differ from each other. They blurt out the same lines, they look the same, and they act the same. The game's console origins are unfortunately all too obvious. The game world is way too small. While it can be explored at your own pace, the actual areas are dreadfully cramped and linear. You run along the road, and everything you can explore is in the immediate vicinity of that road. Frequent loading destroys any illusion of seamless traveling. Lack of jumping, climbing, crawling, swimming, and other physical activities negatively impact immersion already marred by the questionable world structure. Character building is simplified as well, guaranteeing that you'll deplete the meager list of skills for each character type very soon, and will have no choice but to turn to another type. In other words, you build a powerful melee fighter so fast that you have nothing else to do but start turning him into an archer and a magic user as well. 
Combat itself is arcadish and offers little depth, little depth of genuine satisfaction. They finish by saying that Fable is a far cry from the hypothetical biggest, baddest, most freeform game its creators boasted of. It is a snack for the impatient modern crowd, degrading venerable RPG concepts to easily marketable gimmicks. Scaring potential brides and distracting demons with obscene gestures can be fun akin to eating junk food. And just like junk food, it can't really satisfy you. I saw someone suggest in a more retrospective review that Fable isn't great for all the reasons in the one you just read and that it's really hard to look back on because there are so many games that just do everything better, which is true. You know, at the time there weren't any games that attempted to do things like this. There weren't games that really tried to change your character based on your play style. There weren't games that delved in morality. That's pretty common nowadays. All the things that they wanted to do, people weren't doing. But of course, Fable tried. Fable got way better at doing it in Fable 2. And then everyone else picked it up and did it really well. You know, someone suggested someone suggested a, where I read it is we did a Kingdoms of Amalur episode. And Kingdoms of Amalur is one of the games that probably deserves credit for taking its inspiration from fable and it just does all of this well whereas fable didn't of course you know you're limited by 2004 technology and everything's come a long way since then but that's that's neither here nor there so well then where is it it is somewhere on a hype train going nowhere really fast Mm, i see i see fable comes out Big Box Blue Studios becomes Lionhead. In fact, Lionhead outright purchased the studio during the development to quote-unquote help accelerate development of Fable. So it's now Lionhead Studios. At some point in their Lionhead Studios, at some point in their Lionhead Studios had uh, went public on the stock market, had an IPO initial public offering. And this was, I don't know, probably the year 2000. In 2001, specifically after 9-11, there was a stock market crash. So that put them in a really bad place. And on top of that, that same year or not too long afterwards in 2005, you know, they're already hurting because of of losing all their money there. They release two different games that don't do very well. Black and White 2 didn't do well. And there was a movie studio simulation game called The Movies. Um, two games I enjoyed, but neither of them were enjoyed by very many people. So bad stock market, uh, bad games. They were financially in a really hard place. So uh, they began looking at alternatives. And in 2006, Microsoft outright bought the studio like Microsoft do. Um, Well, part of Microsoft, they released Fable 2, which did well. They released Fable 3, which did okay. After that, they released a Kinect game called Fable The Journey, which did not do well in any way, shape, or form. Never even heard of it. Do you remember when the Kinect came out vaguely? Like, Okay. Yeah, I still have it, actually. Do you remember the initial 
like hype train around the connect and there was this like realistic looking kid called milo that they they talked up a lot like it was a realistic person you could talk to it and milo would respond to you realistically do you remember that, Milo? i don't recall milo at all no okay well project milo was made by lionhead studios and then project milo ended up getting canceled but they took the technology and they rolled it into fable the journey which was just crap it was a rail shooter for the connect basically lame um so it's 2012 now and they have been working on fable games for over a decade 11 years and there was yet another one called fable legends that microsoft wanted them to work on Um, many of the veterans who had been with lionhead studios for this entire time were really frustrated and they wanted to move on to something else that wasn't fable so they did (laughs) um they moved on and Uh, collectively they all spread out and started a whole bunch of studios that uh, are still making games today. So some studios that are start that were started by former Lionhead developers, they include two point studios, which made two point hospital and two point university, which came out last month. Um, They were founded by guys who had been there forever. In fact, two point hospital is their spiritual successor to theme hospital. Um, Another famous studio founded in its wake uh, was Media Molecule. Media Molecule created the Little Big Planet series. And most recently, they created Dreams for the PlayStation, which was hot stuff for a while. Yeah, I mean, those right there, two big studios. And a bunch of other little ones that did little things here and there and then got sucked into other studios. Um, In 2016... Microsoft canceled Fable Legends and ended up closing Lionhead Studios. So Lionhead Studios is no more. (laughs) But Peter Molyneux never quit uh, his overhyping antics. In fact, uh, that's what he's best known for now. It's really funny. I, he, crap, last year made headlines again. Not for something he did, but someone wrote this scathing article in which they suggested that Peter Molyneux was the creator of over-promising on games and under-delivering. And it's he's the reason why games like No Man's Sky and Cyberpunk are allowed to exist. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, So Molyneux leaves Lionheads before it closes. He founds a development studio called 22 Cans. Um, I'm going to be honest, you know, because I've been a fan of of his since Bullfrog and I do enjoy Fable. I mean, I am a a Molyneux fan, but I know him for what he is. And you kind of have to take what he says with a grain of salt nowadays. 22 Can's first game was a social experiment called Curiosity. What's in the cube? I played it. I don't know if you did. No, I can't say that I did that one. It featured, a, it was a mobile game. It was a giant cube that was made up of billions of smaller cubes. You you loaded up the game. It was just a giant cube floating in the middle of a white room. And you would tap the cube. And the whole point was to tap these little cubes that would allow you to dig from you know layer to layer and reveal the next layer to, below. The whole goal of the game was to reach the center and discover what was inside the cube. Molyneux hyped the shit out of it. He claimed that what was inside the cube is, quote unquote, life changingly amazing by any definition. 
So when it was suggested to him that maybe he should tone down his enthusiasm, he responded, I don't want to believe in something less. I want to make something that is worth the emotion behind it. The social experiment known as Curiosity starts on the 6th of November, 2012. And the social experiment ended in 2013, I think February, March, when Brian Henderson opened the final cube. Uh, He was given the option to keep the prize to himself or share it with the world. And of course, he decides to boast. So we all found out that 22 Cans was working on another god game called Godus or Goddess. I don't know. And that Henderson would be the sole all-powerful digital god when the game released and also reap a small portion of the incoming revenue from the game. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, well, it didn't work out that way. Godus did come out. It was an early access game released in September. Uh, but um, as of 2016, they had never reached out to Henderson. <laughs> and then in 2017, Malinu was asked about it, and he claimed that Godus had never made a profit. And as such, there was no money for Henderson as well. So no God status and no money. Just hype upon hype with no follow through by Peter Malinu. And that's kind of what he's known for these days. 22 Cans made Curiosity and another game and then Godus. And there's another one called Godus Wars, which was a real time strategy, like battling version of Goddess or Godus or whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, but none of these games have a- ever come out of early access. Goddess was actually kickstarted successfully and then made and still never came out of early access. It's still on the mobile store. You could go play it right now if you all want to. I don't know who's this overreaching God, but uh, Brian Henderson sure as hell isn't. He never got to be involved with it. I looked up what Peter Molyneux was on right now, and there was an article in December of 2021 where he was interviewed and said that he's working on a business simulation based around blockchain NFTs. So fuck you, Peter Molyneux. Uh, Choo-choo, everybody. Do not get on the fucking hype train for an NFT game. NFT nft nope 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 don't do it at all no hype do train. given to the hate but you know what you should get on the hype train for rob what's that dave other episodes of our podcast which you can find on our website www.memorycardlane.com also on memorycardlane.com you can find show notes all my research notes for the episodes you can find uh, a link to a calendar with upcoming events. You can find our old episodes, which I already said because now I'm repeating myself. You can find our biographies. You can find a link to our Discord if you'd like to join us to play video games or just tell me off because, yeah, that's a thing that's happened. That seems to be the only reason why y'all join, but hey, whatever. I am wrong. If you're curious what that is, you can also find links to our social media. I am on various platforms as David is wrong. Rob, go ahead and plug yourself. I can be found twitch.tv forward slash fat boy with an I rips with a Z. Awesome. Well, each week we tell you a story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history and about the people who created it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the people, the game, what they take from the world as its inspiration, or what they give back to the world as their legacy. Today... You learned about Peter Molyneux and his hype train, Fable, Bullfrog. We learned about a whole bunch. So every week we like to acknowledge that when we teach you things, we learn as well. 
And so we like to cover our biggest takeaways. Rob, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, I learned the name Peter Molyneux and how much he uh, definitely throws, uh, swings it around as big as he can, as long as he can. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of his games, but he's an ass hat. <laughs> he's an yeah, ass. Yeah, definitely seems to be the way. But also, I learned that the origins of this game were that you're supposed to be able to have sexual relations with cheese and wear the skin of children as a cape. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, just I shouldn't be surprised by humanity, but that learning that about this game—that's an actual letter that someone received. I, yeah, I'm astounded. I, yep. but real. you know what? They still went through with the game. Although they, they may have left out that most important detail that really would have gotten another fan on their board. Yep. But nope. No good for them. Nope. What about yourself, Dave? What did you find interesting this week? Baked beans. Ah, yes. The baked beans. How could I forget? I, I think it's hilarious that he went to to export baked beans to the Middle East. And then somehow fate, literally fate, threw him a curveball and dragged him right <laughs> back in to video game development, which basically tells me that God is a comedian and he basically said that uh, there is a purpose for Peter Molyneux and the hype train in gaming somewhere. So, well, Dave, it's like they say, beans, beans, the magic fruit. The more you eat, the more likely you are to succeed in your dreams. <laughs> I would have taken the more you cute because that's really all Peter Molyneux does is talk out of his ass. I mean, that was an implication, though. I didn't need to go there. He does that himself. All right, Rob. Well, before I take it out of here for the week, is there anything you'd like to add? Well, Dave, as always, I just want to take a quick moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. It means so much to us. And I tell you that week in, week out, and you probably get tired of hearing it. But I'm not tired of saying it because we're appreciative. It means the world to us. We've been doing this for over two years now, and, uh, you know, we're just going to keep going until we, until we want to stop, which this train's keeping going. This is the hype train right here. You join this one, not that NFT blockchain. You join a trip down memory card lane. Very true. Well, let's look ahead to next week, shall we? Yeah, Dave, let's do that thing for next week and tell people what to be excited about. Its adventure took place in eight different galaxies, each with 256 planets to explore. There was no rhyme or reason to how you could go about it or what you could do. You could be a space pirate. You could trade among the stars. You could be a bounty hunter or an asteroid miner. The universe was yours for the taking. It was truly an open-ended adventure, one that was yours and yours alone to create. Released in September of 1983, Elite revolutionized the open-world concept laying the foundation for all future open world games to come. Next week, we're going to look at Elite, its development, the game itself, and the foundation that is, has spread throughout all of modern video game design. So join us again next week as we visit Deep Space on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Yeah. Yeah.